Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and today we'll be starting our conversation about Carpal Tunnel. So let me introduce our first set of panelists. The second set will be reserved for episode number two on this condition, which will be released in two weeks. But today, we start with Ruth Werner. She is an educator about massage therapy and pathology, who will help us set the foundation of understanding on a physiological level. She'll talk about what's actually happening on a tissue level with each individual who has this condition. Next, we have Whitney Lowe, our orthopedic massage expert, who has decades of experience in the clinical setting, as well as a treasure trove of CEU classes. He will be followed by Rick Gold, our Eastern medicine and bodywork specialist, who will be giving us his thoughts from his extensive experience working as an Eastern medicine doctor and acupuncturist, as well as a massage educator. He'll be followed by Walt Fritz, who is an evidence-based physical therapist specializing in myofascial release. Last but not least, we will wrap up with Meredith Stevens, who is a Pilates physical therapist and movement expert, as well as being a massage therapist and a trainer for Anatomy Trains. As usual, there's going to be a lot of different opinions and perspectives that will be shared over the course of this and upcoming episodes. I want to be clear that I'm not trying to put any one opinion over the other. I believe that my job is to bring experienced people together and ask them good questions. In two weeks, I'll release the second episode on Carpal Tunnel with a different set of panelists. Clearly, we have quite a bit to get to, so let's dive in. I bring you the first panel on Carpal Tunnel. All right, and as always, we are going to start with Ruth Werner, who's a massage therapy educator that specializes in pathology for massage therapists. And what she's going to do is she's going to help set up the context for this discussion around the particular condition and kind of lay the groundwork from where all the other conversations can take place. So thank you so much for joining me, Ruth. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Haley. All right. So tell me what you know about carpal tunnel. Oh, I love talking about carpal tunnel syndrome. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure why I love talking about it, but I just do. So, <laughs> so here's what I'll tell you. Um, listeners may recall that the median nerve is one of the nerves in the brachial plexus that comes out of our lower neck. Oh gosh, what is it? C5 to T1, I think. Someone might correct me on that. And the nerves come out the neck and they combine and blah, blah, blah. And they wrap down the arm and they, we end up with the median nerve that goes all the way down the forearm and into the hand. And if you look at your hand, I want you to look at your thumb, your pointer finger, your middle finger, and the inside half of your ring finger. And that is the innervation. That's the sensory part of what the median nerve supplies. Isn't that bizarre? One half of the ring finger. And then everything lateral to that. <laughs> I know, it's weird, right? Um, and one of the places that that median nerve has to travel, it actually travels through a few different tight spots between the neck and your fingertips. Um, one of the tight spots where it, where it goes through is what we call the carpal tunnel, which is um, a, a, a little tunnel made of the carpal bones, those eight, those two rows of four bones, the eight bones that are in the base of the hand and the retinaculum ligament that overlays them. So the median nerve goes under the retinaculum ligament and it's sort of cradled by the carpal bones on its way into your thumb, forefinger, middle finger, and half of your ring finger. So in the olden days, 
back when I was in massage school, if people had any kind of nervy pain in their hand, the assumption was, oh, that's carpal tunnel syndrome, meaning that the median nerve was being irritated as it passed through the carpal tunnel. And there are a variety of surgeries for this. In, in the old days, it meant cutting open the wrist, cutting open the retinaculum ligament, trying to make a little more space for the nerve and then sewing everything up and then doing a whole bunch of physical therapy in the hopes that the whole thing doesn't clog up with scar tissue and, you know, put more pressure on the median nerve. Um, historically, that carpal tunnel surgery, which now is also done laparoscopically, it's done, it can be done with lasers, it can be done with very minimal kinds of um, uh, uh, invasion to preserve that area as best as possible. Historically, that surgery that's just here at the wrist has only a so-so success rate which is very interesting. And for someone who has carpal tunnel syndrome, especially people like us in a profession where we really need our hands to be strong and healthy, that, you know, might be an issue of some concern. So when I write and teach about carpal tunnel syndrome anymore, I'm, I am adding a new term to the language and I'm not crazy about the way this term sounds, but I'll explain it and then maybe we can find another label for it. Okay. But the term that more and more people are, are, are realizing is, is, is at play here is this thing called multiple crush syndrome, or sometimes it's called double crush syndrome, but it could be more than just two places. And the word crush is a little scary because we don't like to think of crushing nerves, right? So, <laughs> so that's a little, a little alarmist. But here's the idea. I want you to envision the median nerve on its way down the arm and into the hand, and the nerve is covered by, covered by and permeated throughout with connective tissue. It has a fascial sheath, right, called the epi and the peri uh, perineurium. If that nerve is snagged or irritated anywhere between the neck, under the clavicle, around the um, humerus, it actually bifurcates the, uh, well, give me a second, bifurcates the pronator teres, it splits the pronator teres, and then comes down here. So at any one of those places, if that nerve is hung up, if it's trapped in fascia, if it's stretched, if it's irritated, the whole nerve can become irritated, and it's trapped by that fascial sheath. And what that means is now we have something that's a little inflamed going through this carpal tunnel. And so we feel it here and we release it here. But that irritation, sorry, we release it here in the hand, but that irritation might be happening in the elbow or it might be happening at the neck or it might be happening somewhere else. And so that's a reason why surgery for carpal tunnel syndrome might not be successful. It's also a reason why someone who has carpal tunnel syndrome, which by the laws of physics should only be painful from the wrist distally out into the hand. Sometimes people, often people will report forearm pain. Nerves don't translate that way. And so what that suggests is that there's multiple sites where that nerve is getting snagged and irritate it. So what does this mean for massage? It means a few things. Um, the first thing it means is we must not do anything ever that irritates 
or irritates or exacerbates symptoms. So um, whatever we do, we need to be conscious of and constantly asking questions about whether people are getting any kinds of nervy pain in their forearm or in their hand. Um, but it also means we may be able to give some good advice uh, to people who are considering surgery that, you know, uh, surgery works for a lot of people. But let's be aware that that entrapment might be happening at multiple places. And it also might change our strategies about how and where we work for our people with hand pain. You know, they may really benefit from some specific work that does not exacerbate symptoms um, at the anterior elbow um, or at the shoulder girdle. Okay. So, um, yeah, I don't have any other, you know, specific, really super duper cautions about carpal tunnel. We don't, we just don't make it worse, but let's be aware that it's probably more complicated than just a tiny entrapment right here at the wrist. Thank you, Ruth. Mm -hmm. You can find out more about Ruth through her website at ruthwerner.com. You can also read her work in A Massage Therapist's Guide to Pathology, a book that she wrote, which is now published by Books of Discovery. All right, now we're going to go ahead and turn to Whitney Lowe, who's an orthopedic massage specialist, to talk about his take on our condition of interest today. Thanks for joining us, Whitney. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about carpal tunnel. Yeah, so carpal tunnel, man, this is a uh, another kind of frequently overused um, term in because everybody hears about carpal tunnel and as, as soon as you come in and say you got a hand pain you say oh i got carpal tunnel or i'm afraid i'm going to get carpal tunnel that's a big factor is there the, the the potential fear of this being something that is going to be debilitating over the long term so there is an instances there are instances where there is real time occurring carpal tunnel syndrome and a lot of other instances where it may appear that there's something like that going on and you can blow this up into a full-blown pain problem so it really is helpful if we can identify, is there true irritation and aggravation of the median nerve as it goes through the carpal tunnel? We've got a number of assessment procedures that are frequently performed, like the, the real common phalanx test where you put the backside of your hands together and press them and see if that reproduces those sensations. There are a number of other physical examination methods that should go along with your history and your other palpation and evaluation methods to determine if this is in fact true median nerve compression in that area. If so, we want to try to treat this as we do all of the other, you know, any other nerve compression problem anywhere in the body, which is the most important factor is to get pressure off the nerve. And you, you don't really think about massage as doing something to get pressure off because we're usually putting pressure on when we do things. So what that means for us is any of the things that can reduce the irritation of those other structures that might be um, aggravating the nerve in the tunnel. That means working a lot on the whole flexor muscle group throughout the forearm, uh, decreasing any chronic overuse of that that might be causing maybe even a low-level inflammatory reaction of those tendons as they travel through the, uh, the tunnel underneath the retinaculum. So those will be our, our key strategies that we're going to look for. But the other thing with carpal tunnel I would mention uh, being really important is that a lot of times there's, there's potential for other median nerve entrapment locations that get missed that are aggravating the symptoms in the carpal tunnel. So for example, the median nerve courses between the two heads of the pronator teres muscle just distal to the elbow. And a lot of times there's entrapment of the median nerve here, but you get that pain in the hand just like you do with carpal tunnel syndrome. 
And in fact, that makes irritation of the median nerve in the carpal tunnel worse. So by not addressing other potential locations of, of median nerve entrapment throughout the entire upper extremity, you might attempt to treat the, the nerve in, in around the hand, uh, either us or whoever else they're seeing for that, but miss a lot of the other potential places along the nerve that are also contributing to the problem as well. So on that note, are there other conditions that kind of mimic carpal tunnel or other areas in which the, the nerve may be impinged even further up that it might cause uh, some of the similar uh, sensations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have at least like uh, seven to eight possible locations where either branches of the median nerve or portions of it may get compressed from the nerve root to in between the scalene muscles to underneath the clavicle and first rib to underneath pectoralis minor muscle, to in the elbow as it passes by the bicipital aponeurosis, there's quite a number of tunnels or potential places where that nerve can get compressed. And those symptoms can often mimic carpal tunnel problems. And to me, this is one of the beauties of what we do with massage because we will often address that entire length of the upper extremity as we're treating somebody all the way from the neck on down whereas many other health professionals may only tackle this area right around the wrist as the primary side of the problem. But if we do this thing where we focus on the entire pathway of that nerve, it's going to do nothing but make the nerve more healthy, more mobile, and free up any other potential restrictions along there. And does leading clients through nerve glides, would that help with this particular condition? I think absolutely. And what, what I have found is that those nerve glides or neural mobilization methods are most effective at the end of us doing a lot of work on the other soft tissues there. So what we want to do is to free up all the other soft tissues, loosen them, encourage pliability and elasticity in all those tissues throughout the upper extremity first, and then we'll come into our nerve glides at the very end so that that nerve has the greatest degree of, of potential mobility improvement. And is there anything that therapists should watch out for when working with clients with this particular condition, uh, both from a perspective of client safety, uh, but also in terms of getting a successful treatment? One of the things that comes to mind that I always like to encourage people to be on the lookout for is what this might be if it's not carpal tunnel syndrome. Because, for example, there are a number of systemic neurological disorders, let's say, you know, maybe even early indicators of something like MS or maybe some other type of, of neurological problem that might have some other systemic things. Like maybe a person says, hey, yeah, I got carpal tunnel syndrome or, you know, like diabetes can do this as well. You may be dealing with some um, early appearance of a systemic neurological disorder, but thinking about it and treating it as a local mechanical nerve compression problem. So it's really important that we also screen for and try to pay attention to any other signs or symptoms that might be indicative of something being a much more significant uh, kind of problem there. And so can you give me some of those uh, indicators or signs of, sig uh, of significance that might point in a more of a systemic neurological disorder? Yeah, so anything in particular that is showing up bilaterally um, where, or showing up where there doesn't seem to be mechanical stresses. A person says, you know, like a carpal tunnel syndrome in this hand, now I'm starting to feel it in my other hand. Or I'm, you know, I noticed that my toes were feeling like I'm getting some pins and needles in my toes or something like that. So um, especially any indicators of more widespread uh, sensations, you know, uh, pins and needles or, you know, the numbness or any of those kinds of sensations in particular that seem to be appearing in places where they don't have mechanical compromise 
that's a good indication that's maybe a potential red flag for a systemic disorder showing up. All right. Thank you, Whitney. Okay. Yeah, you bet. You can find out more about Whitney and the work that he's doing at the Academy of Clinical Massage. That's www.academyofclinicalmassage.com, where you can learn about this condition and many others. And now we're bringing in Rick Gold, who's our Eastern Massage and Chinese Medicine Specialist, to talk with us. Thanks for joining us, Rick. My pleasure, Haley. I look forward to it. So talk to me about carpal tunnel. Okay. Um, Carpal tunnel is often associated now with repetitive uh, use um, syndrome. Um, Our our little mousies that we have on our computers are really a contributor to that. But um, so... But it's interesting because, in, again, when, when you have these kind of nerve problems or fascial problems, from a Chinese medicine, Asian acupressure point of view, you're, you're, you're always thinking, what meridian am I dealing with here? And carpal tunnel usually follows what's known as the pericardium or the heart protector or the heart governing uh, meridian. So it's definitely a real phenomenon. There's inflammation that's causing pain and functional uh, decline in the hand, especially pain in the arm. But because it's on the pericardium, the heart protector, usually a pertinent question has to do with how, how, how much are you into what you're doing? Are you, are you following your sole purpose, S-O-U-L purpose? Uh, are you following your sole purpose with, with what you're doing? Um, and it might be, are you spending all your time on your uh, phone on Instagram and, you know, the superficial ways we, we view our life, you know, are these things really serving your purpose or being on Facebook with your mouse for hours? Or, um, now, some of it comes from, from legitimate work. If you're an author, you might be typing all the time. But, you know, ideally, um, our, our work is not a job. Our work is part of our soul's journey. And, um, and you choose when you work, you, you, you know, you have much more freedom than uh, we see happening. But again, I don't want to psychoanalyze every physical pain, but from a Chinese medical point of view, the theory, there's not a mind body split. I mean, it's all, we're all happening simultaneously. And so um, the fact that it's on the pericardium meridian for most people is a clue about uh, creating a dialogue with you as a practitioner, with the client, with it within themselves. Now, with, with that in mind, um, we do, uh, we trace the pain. We usually, we, we can find the epicenter of the pain, and then we're going to work distally from that and both onto the fingertips and up the arm and look for the main points. And we're going to melt into these points. We're going to help stimulate blood flow. Um, I'm often going to look in the neck or feel around in the neck to see where the most, uh, where there's a subluxation or where there's the most inflammation at the nerve root. I'm going to pick points such as gallbladder 34, the influential point of tendons and ligaments, because usually there's some fascial involvement also. The spleen 10, the sea, the sea of blood point, um, that also takes wind out of the blood, uh, which is a metaphor for pain that's local but also shifts locations the nature of wind in the body is things that shift they're not always just fixed Um, we're going to look in the ear for points related to the arm and the hand and the neck 
um, poultices of castor oil, which is, again, castor oil is anti-inflammatory. This has been shown through clinical study. You're going to see uh, it's anti-inflammatory without being immune suppressive, which is sort of like the uh, gold standard because pharmacologically immune uh, anti-inflammatories are either immune suppressive or block brain signals to the brain. They're either steroidal or non-steroidal. And so um, that's really important. A, uh, an alkaline diet, again, nerve pain is a sign of hyperacidity in the body. So, uh, so we can see that in terms of excessive yang. And so we want to have a more yin diet or it's alkaline and it's acids. You, these are way, different ways of describing a similar phenomena. So we're going to look more for an alkaline forming diet. Um, and uh, takes time. And ideally, you're not using that, that carpal tunnel wrist all the time while you're going through therapy. You can get a, a break in the action. Um, some people do be get benefit from braces that they wear. Um, something that that's, we see was sort of a modern application of acupressure in Chinese medicine is taping magnets to uh, the most painful spots. Again, magnets going to draw hemoglobin, which is iron. There's an iron molecule there. That's what's carrying oxygen. Oxygen's the great anti-inflammatory. You can put magnets on the body. And um, also in Chinese medicine, the practice of qigong or tai chi, really slow movements. Um, and there are things, wrist stretching. Um, I wouldn't do exercise. I wouldn't do a you know, the plank in yoga or things that really strain the forearms. Um, I would work, I would work very gently and give it time. Awesome. Thank you, Rick. Certainly. Now that was Rick Gold. You can learn more about any of the Eastern medicine points he was talking about with a simple Google search. And Rick also develops music for meditation. And you can learn more about that music at www.metamindfulnessmusic.com. And his work there is to help facilitate meditation and mindfulness. So now I'm going to bring in Walt Fritz, who will give us his thoughts from the perspective of a physical therapist who specializes in evidence-informed myofascial release. Welcome, Walt. Thanks for having me, Haley. So let's talk about carpal tunnel syndrome. Sure. Um, I get a fair amount of, of patients coming in to see me with carpal tunnel syndrome. I... I I'm making an assumption here with the conversation we're having that they've been diagnosed by their their physician, whoever that might be, whether it's ortho or neuro, um, and cleared for my work, the manual therapy type of work that I do. Um, yeah, yeah, so carpal tunnel presents itself at the wrist. Um, we do a lot of treatment. We do a lot of evaluation at the wrist. Um, but from a neurodynamic and the old MFR perspective that I was trained from, you, know, you certainly want to be taking a look at the whole upper quadrant from cervical spine all the way through under the clavicle brachial plexus where the, the nerves mix and match and or mix and merge out um, into the arm as the separate three primary nerves. Are they getting any tunnel syndromes up higher that simply could be manifesting down lower? I, I am definitely going to treat the person from an MFR perspective at the risk where they have the pain or seem to be having the symptoms and that could take the place of cross-handed release, cross-handed type of stretch. Um, I love doing very gentle arm pulls, arm traction to the point where I lightly grab hold of the skin and just engage the skin in a very mild stretch through various range of motions 
taken the arm into all sorts of different planes that, that starts connecting my patient with their symptoms, whether it makes it feel better or it brings them to just the edge of awareness of their symptoms, not anything that provokes um, the pain or gets it out of control. Um, you know, what are we doing with carpal tunnel when we help it? Oh boy, that's a, that, that could fill a whole podcast and more because I think the answers aren't quite known. Meaning MFR, as it was taught to me, was about releasing the fascia that surrounded that nerve that was causing the pain within the, within the carpal tunnel. Um, you know, now I look at it more from a neurodynamic approach. Is it, is it the nerve itself within its tunnel that's getting jammed up, if you will, that's getting um, lack of movement within that? Can I do something to improve the flexibility of the nerve within that tunnel? Ultimately, I'm probably doing similar type of things with my hand and with my patients, even though I don't think it's about the fascia anymore. Um, I've worked with a lot of patients over the years with carpal tunnel syndrome, both that have, were trying to avoid surgery, um, as well as patients that were post-surgical carpal tunnel, okay? Um, and I think I've had my fair success with both of those patient profiles. You know, here's the place where as an educator and a therapist with a lot of years of experience, I'm, I'm supposed to tell you that myofascial release can negate the need for surgery. Um, I, I think that sometimes those just get to be boastful claims by people that, you know, everybody follows the bell curve in terms of whether we can help them or not. I've helped my fair share of people um, with diagnoses of carpal tunnel, which people have not been able to help and, and the surgery helped, right? And you know, sometimes the surgery really does make a big impact. And then my role comes down the road when they're ready for some post-op care and whether it's to traditional PT exercise-based approach or the manual therapy blend of it, right? Um, because movement is key. We want to get them moving again. Manual therapy can be a good adjunct to that. It can be a big part of it or a real small part of it. I want to get them back to activity and that might be an exercise and, and strengthening, et cetera. And the manual therapy can play a big role in that. So I'm curious about, you know, you, you're, you obviously put a high level of importance on client communication and navigating that through the manual therapy work that's being done. I'm curious if you have a particular way that you couch or phrase the, the communication so that the client is onboarded as you move, let's say, their arm through a range of, uh, uh, of motion and, and come upon moments of either, oh, that's starting to create some, 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 sensa some sensation or that's uh, actually bringing about relief. Like how do you, how do you create that uh, communication uh, standard with the client? Uh, it's a great question, and it's probably the, the first two hours of every seminar I teach is, is communicating that to therapists um, uh, that are used to working, and I'm going to say this without seeming derogatory at all, I think most of us were trained to work from um, our experience that builds over the years with working with patients as well as the education and training we get, where as our experience builds, we're supposed to know what to do to and with that person. And I call that working from ego, okay? Working where um, the patient comes in because you're the expert and allows you to do with them what you think is, is necessary. I think that creates a power disparity that I'm not terribly comfortable with in a patient. Um, I want them to be more of a partner um, in the therapeutic dynamic, the therapeutic relationship. So 
Some patients are on board with that immediately. Some patients never become on board with it because they're looking for the person who says, this is what's wrong with you and this is what I need to do with you. Um, I, getting back to your question, as I move my patient through some of these different planes, I've already had, had, had a conversation with them telling them that I need your feedback. I need to know what you're feeling. Um, I need to know whether it's familiar, whether it's a part of what brought you into my office, whether it feels good. And to some people, pain feels good. To some people, pain feels horrible. Even if it's the same level of pain in the same position, um, our psychology, our past, our the biopsychosocial aspect of all of that is such that everybody interprets that feeling of pain differently. Um, and everybody has a different relationship with it, meaning if it hurts, is it good for me, right? Um, some people feel like it has to hurt to help. Some people feel that if it hurts, you're going to hurt me. Don't do that, right? So um, I need to have this conversation well before we start evaluation and treatment. And it seems like it could take a long time to move the person from me working from my ego to them being a partner, but it actually, with a little bit of practice, um, it, it can happen pretty quickly. So when I take them, for instance, I talked to, you talked about, you know, when I take their arm and move it in space and they start to feel a replication of their symptom, it should feel good to them. It should feel like it can be helpful without me selling them the fact that, okay, bite on this stick while I hurt you, it will be good for you. I don't want that concept to be a part of what they're putting up with just to get help from me. All right. Thank you so much, Walt. Sure. So that was Walt Fritz. And if you want to learn more about Walt and his approach or his seminars, you can find more at waltfritz.com. So now I'm going to bring in Meredith Stevens, who will give us her thoughts from the perspective of a physical therapist, structural integrator, and Pilates expert. So welcome, Meredith. Thanks for having me, Haley. So let's talk about carpal tunnel. Yeah. Um, so as you know, we um, traditional carpal tunnel, uh, we're talking about compression of the median nerve as it goes under that um, transverse carpal um, ligament at the wrist. Uh, it's important also to look further up the chain and make sure and see what's happening in the, in the forearm, what's happening in the shoulder, what's happening in the thorax and the thoracic outlet as well, just to tease out, are there more than just that carpal tunnel happening? Um, when I work with people with this, uh, one thing I really try to do, in addition to the hands-on work I'm doing to open up that uh, carpal area, stretch it out, um, working on the mobility of the wrist and the bones and, and the joints um, and all the musculature that feeds into it, um, I do home programs with people. So one thing I love to give, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the MELT method, but one of the genius, um, Sue Hitzman did the MELT method and she, her genius was in her tools and she's developed, you know, she developed the soft foam roller that's so popular now, but also a lot of little small balls, um, one of which can be fit right into that carpal tunnel. And so you can teach your client to work with this small ball, kind of pinning it between their two carpal tunnels to massage and open out that area. Um, because so often um, trying to massage with their fingers, part of the problem is their fingers. They can't grip anymore. They can't use their hands in the way that um, they used to. And that's part of the frustration. 
um, so I use that. Um, I also advise the use of splints, but, uh, specifically at night, but also if they're working on the computer um, a lot, because so often people sleep with their wrists flexed and their fingers flexed, and they close off that carpal tunnel all night and wake themselves up because it starts to create numbness and pain. So having um, the hand in that splinted position, um, it takes a little getting used to to wear splints, but um, it can be really helpful to keep it open and again, allow for healing and allow for somebody to be able to get a night's sleep. Um, I use uh, hot and cold. So, and sometimes I use a combination of the, put it in the cold, bucket, the ice bucket, put it in the heat, put it in the cold, put it in the heat. Um, That contrast bath um, can have, um, some people hate it and some people absolutely love it. Um, And then, you know, exercises to start to build up the strength back in their fingers. My, my favorite, one of my other favorite ones is my fancy low tech. I take a rubber band and I have them thread it around their fingers and then spread and open as well so that they're um, getting strength in the wrist extensors because sometimes um, the flexors can overpower the extensors. Sometimes it's a case that a carpal bone is a little out of position and is creating some problems and some limitations. And a chiropractor can, I mean, that's what they do. They are really good at getting the bones back in position. And so we can have a synergistic effect of me working the soft tissues, the client working with some self-care and some home programming and a chiropractor who's making sure the bones are in position as well. All right. Thank you so much, Meredith. Mm-hmm. So that was Meredith Stevens. And if you want to learn more about her work, you can check out her website at www.bodyworksds.com. And she teaches anatomy trains workshops, which you can find out at the anatomy trains website. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. A big thank you to all of my experienced and esteemed panelists. I continue to be honored that they let me poke and prod their minds on these subjects. It wouldn't be possible without them. Please do rate us on iTunes or through whichever podcast app that you listen to us. And feel free to visit us on Facebook and suggest new topics for me to cover in future episodes. Until then, be well.